Welcome to the Picture of Wealth, a podcast all about living more of your life now, yet being responsible for your future. Lifestyle experimenter, wealth scientist, and financial coach Dustin Service shares life hacks, wealth tips, and interviews successful entrepreneurs on how they're thriving in happiness, purpose, and prosperity. I'm excited to have Dr. Rex Hawthorne on the podcast today to talk about lifestyle, wakeboarding, skiing, biking, all of the above, and uh, also what it takes to run a successful dental practice. Thanks a lot for being on the show today, Rex. Hey, my pleasure, Dustin. So in uh, in doing a little prep for uh, just sort of warming up into the conversation, you uh, you went to the world championships for wakeboarding, did you not? I did. Okay, and you were how old when you went there? Oh, let's go with, say, I think I was 49, 49 or 50, somewhere in there. Okay, so that obviously, you know, I, I've known you for a long time. I really respect what you've done. And uh, knowing sort of roughly what I thought your age would have been, I was very, very inspired at, you know, what, when you're running a successful dental practice, four kids, you've got lots of work-life balance stuff happening. How did that thought come about to actually get into wakeboarding, let alone go, you know, world championship level? Uh, that's a good question. To be honest, it wasn't actually planned. Um, <laughs> I've, I've always enjoyed water sports. Uh, I grew up um, uh, in Vernon and uh, I had a dad that was very much into uh, water skiing and whatnot. So uh, we started at a young age and it's something that my brother and my dad and I kind of did as a family. And, you know, looking back, uh, certainly some fond memories, lots of time spent with dad and my brother on the lake. Um, and it's something I, I, I did with my family when my, my older kids were younger and my sort of second set of kids, if you will. Uh, we, we still spend a lot of time on the lake. Um, my son um, really enjoyed wakeboarding and, and whatnot. And, um, you know, as sort of time went on, he, he started to compete. Uh, he was on the BC team and uh, uh, worlds were held in Toronto uh, a number of years ago. And, and he had an opportunity. He got to the level where he could participate. And uh, it really wasn't even a, a thought on my radar. I mean, I enjoyed um, I enjoyed wakeboarding and you know spending time with the family as, as such. Um, and my son just uh, he qualified and made it to worlds. And he said, oh, "Hey, Dad, well, why don't you go?" And I said, "Well, I haven't qualified. I haven't done anything." And he said, "Well, Dad, I sent a video in, and uh, and they qualified you." <laughs> and uh, maybe just to step back a little bit. Um, uh, as you know, Dustin, but probably your listeners don't, uh, I was involved in a, a rather serious mountain biking accident in 2005 and, uh, I, I broke my back. So I, uh, I live in a wheelchair. I have a spinal cord injury. So, uh, my son sent a video interview wakeboarding, uh, as I do in a, what I refer to as a bucket. I have an adaptive seat that I put on my wakeboard. And, uh, so when they saw that, they, uh, I gather they said my son and email back and said, yeah, your dad can compete. So I did. Wow. So it really wasn't uh, something that I had planned on doing, uh, trained to do. I just, I wakeboard a lot with the family and uh, away I went. So, But you still go, do you go south? Or not right now, maybe, but you still go south and try and put, get in a little winter wakeboard uh, here or there? No, is that, am I forgetting that? No, I have wakeboarded, you know, 
uh, in, in Mexico and whatnot on trips, but it's not really, it's just something we did when we were there for fun, but it's not something I typically, I do. I've taken my son down to California a number of times for uh, camps Maybe and that's cable parks and whatnot. Yeah, I do that. And I used to do a lot of kiteboarding down in South Padre Island in Texas. So that was more of the thing I used to do. Um, yeah, but wakeboarding, not really. That's sort of more of a summer sport that revolves around the family here on the lake. Were you at all, you know, about your your 30-year-old Rex, were you very intentional with, with again, I'm sure it'll come up, you know, and uncover all the different activities that you do. But I, you know, and this is a, a lifestyle wealth podcast. You've got a diverse portfolio of hobbies. <laughs> and, you know, when you were 30, you know, did you kind of have that mapped out or was it, you know, already back from your teens that you've always just kept that lifestyle of, you know, being involved with the number of things and why are being involved in those things, you know, so important and why have they always boiled to the top of your priority list? Um, they're fun. I, I, you know, I mean, and I suppose they're fun for a number of different reasons. I mean, I've always been a little bit competitive in nature and when I get into something, I like to you know, do, do the best I can in it. Uh, doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to worlds or anything, but, uh, you know, I just enjoy pushing myself and trying to do the best I can. Uh, so on a personal level, I, I, you know, satisfaction, uh, from doing stuff. Um, and for me, it's primarily sports. I, I really enjoy, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, but there's also a lot of, um, time spent with family doing it, time spent with friends doing it. And, um, and I really enjoy that. So, you know, I've always made uh, sports uh, an important part of my life. What currently has got you inspired? With regard to what? Sports? Well, lifestyle. Family? You know, is there, lifestyle. is it uh, a certain thing or is it, you know, are you experimenting with new sports, activities, hobbies? Uh, I, I like to keep things interesting. I like to keep things fun. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I suppose uh, I'll maybe answer this from a couple different fronts, sort of on a professional level. Uh, in the practice, uh, I, I like uh, technology. I like keeping things new. Um, it's what keep, just kept my career interesting for as long as it's been. I've been practicing now dentistry for 26 years. So, you know, if I was doing the same dentistry I did when I graduated, I'd probably be quite bored. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, years and years ago in the practice we got into, you know, we embraced sort of the whole digital revolution, digital technology, digital radiographs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we've sort of just, have been building and expanding on that. Uh, we've got into um, digital dentistry in terms of scanning teeth and building crowns digitally. Uh, and we've sort of taken that to the next level. We got a new scanner in the fall and a 3D printer, and we sort of added that component to the practice. And, uh, and I just I enjoy learning new stuff. So that's been a lot of fun. That sort of uh, inspired me, if you will, uh, you know, on a professional level. Um, I guess with regard to sports, um, we've always done, I mean, behind the boat, there's always different things we're we're playing with in terms of what you can ride. And uh, a number of years ago, the, you know, the family started surfing and surfing was the big, the new thing. So we got into surfing. And then a couple of years ago, we bought a foil board and uh, my, what is my a foil son, board again? I think I know, but I, what is that? Um, it's like a surfboard, but underneath, you never remember the air chair that came out yeah, yeah. in the, yeah. in the nineties. Okay. It's very much like a, an air chair on steroids. 
um, underneath the surfboard or pretty much for that matter, anything. They're mounting foils on catamarans, uh, surfboards, wakeboards, kiteboards, um, all sorts of things. And all that a foil is, is it's like a wing that's attached to a mast underneath your your board. And uh, by changing sort of the angle of, of how that wing is underwater, it, it lifts you up. So when you ride a foil board, you're two to, depending on how long your mast is, you're two to three feet above the surface of the water, kind of just gliding. Okay. So the board isn't actually on the water. The foils what lifts you up. So the kids got into foil boarding. So I thought, well, hey, if they can do it, I can do it. <laughs> and um, it was a bit of a challenge. I'm not going to lie. I mean, I started out just starting lying on the board, trying to get up, and that didn't work. And I mean, obviously, I can't stand. So yeah. I ended up strapping my uh, my bucket that I use for wakeboarding onto the surfboard, and uh, with a lot of practice and perseverance, I guess, for lack of a better way of describing yeah. it. Yeah, uh, a few I've curse words, my, I assume. Uh, there might have been a few of those that came out on occasion, yes. And uh, but yeah, so that was been kind of my new thing. I got into foiling, and I uh, I wanted to learn to foil behind the boat as uh, sort of step one, and um, and. And, and surf like without the rope. So toss the rope and just right. ride the wave. And, you know, my, I suppose, long-term goal uh, is I, uh, I used to do a lot of kiteboarding as I think you knew, and uh, I'd like to try, you know, foiling with the kite um, and see how that goes. And then uh, sort of a new sport that's evolved maybe in the last couple of years, instead of kites, people are using, they call them wings. So it's like a picture, of, um, a windsurfer, you know, with the mast on the, on the board, um, the wing would be like the, the sail on a windsurfer, except it's not attached to the board. You just hold on to it with your arms and oh. you use that wing to drag you around the lake. And, uh, I thought that might be kind of fun to try. <laughs> so, so, so that's uh, the next thing I'm working on. In all the applications, there's a bucket. So again, one of the things that, that, you know, we just came through winter and I know you've been on cat ski trips before is Walk us, you know, walk us through how, like, is there a lot of preparation that goes into your trips or activities or have you got it super streamlined now? Or is it, you just get the right gear and that's what makes it easier or, you know, like I envision cat skiing, is that a lot of work? Yep. Yeah, it's a lot of work, uh, and not only not only for me, but but for the people around me, because there's just things that I simply cannot do, um, you know. And negotiating through snow in the middle of winter uh, is a challenge at the best of times, and right. you can't use your wheelchair on things like that. So getting in and out of the cat can be uh, a challenge, you know. Um, when I went heli skiing a, a number of years ago, same thing. I mean, I had guys that had to basically help lift me out of the bucket and throw me into the helicopter and then they would take my gear and throw it into the basket and away we'd go or same thing when we were cat skiing. So I do need a little bit of assistance in that regard. Um, and yeah, there is preparation. What I do is, you know, uh, it's my equipment that allows me to do what I do. So I've got to make sure I have the right equipment for, um, the activity that I'm participating in. And in some cases, um, it's trying to just figure out what I need to do it because, there's just not a lot of people like when I first kiteboarded as a paraplegic, there was nothing out there, you know? So I was just kind of figuring it out as I went. Right. And uh, so sometimes you'll go out and you'll try something and you know, it, it didn't work and you'll 
go back to the drawing board. And, you know, I was fortunate enough that I had a dad that was quite handy in the shop and we built countless adaptive devices, you know, with, you know, fiber seating devices with, you know, fiberglass, I call them buckets, but it's just a, a seating device. So a, a bucket that sort of holds me uh, in a, a position I need to be in for a certain sport, you know, so we've designed and built various adaptive you know, seating devices to to use for different applications. So yeah, a big part of it is equipment driven. When I'm skiing, for example, downhill skiing, um, I don't have knees or legs to absorb the you know the shock, the impact of you know skiing bumps or going off jumps or riding in the park or that kind of stuff drops and whatnot. So it, it really depends on the equipment I have. So you know, what shock do I have underneath my bucket? You know, how is that shock tuned? What ski am I skiing on? You know, it's my ski well waxed. I, I hate pushing. I'm lazy. The last thing I want to do is have to push on the flats. So, you know, keeping my equipment well tuned makes my life easier when I'm on the hill skiing. Right. You know, so. And, and you know, I see a correlation between uh, you have a, a fairly big team in your dental practice. Um, rough, you know, rough how many staff on a given day? Uh, I think. We have 17, there's 17 of us. Now we're not all there on any given day. Um, to be honest, I don't know how many staff I have working on any given I just, day. I just mean uh, on, uh, as sort of throughout the, you know, in the practice on the payroll or, yeah. or you know, yeah. staff. Yeah, that's, there's uh, 17 of us, 17, 18, if you include me. Right. And that, that's a, a, a generous size, you know, a, a great size uh, practice. And I see a correlation between your leadership and leading the team to get you where you've got today with the dental practice and then leading. It's almost like, you know, you're not, maybe not leading your friend group, but you've got to coordinate. Is there something, you know, that, that you're, that, you know, Jim is your father, correct? That's right. So is there something Jim taught you or your mom taught you that was kind of the thing you still use from when you were, you know, 18 year old Rex or 15 year old Rex that you saw that now you have this parallel leadership skill in, in business and in personal. Yes and no. Um, yeah, that's a good question, Dustin. I'm just trying to think how to answer that. Um, well, if there isn't, then it's, you well, know, that's, terms, that's an answer. In, in terms of the leadership part, um, I'm going to say I don't think so, no. Um, Neither of my parents in their in, in, in the roles, the jobs they had, the careers they chose. My dad was an electrician by trade. My mom a, a registered nurse, and um, you know we came from a, a working class blue collar sort of family. And um, the one thing that my parents both definitely instilled on me was was good work ethic. Um, they, my dad was uh, a bit of a workaholic, as was my mom to some degree. And they were always busy. They were always doing something. They 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 didn't have a lot of the time. So working, they had to work to provide for us. And that's one thing I think my parents, uh, they worked very hard to make sure myself, my brother, my sister, you know, had opportunities growing up um, to try different sports, to do different things, to participate in different activities, to travel. You know, uh, we, I grew up in a very family-centered, a very family-centered family, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, in that regard, I would say definitely I learned work ethic from them. Um, 
leadership skills. I don't really know where those came from over the years. Uh, and I don't even know that I have great leadership skills. Um, I, I, you know, without trying to sound boastful or like I'm bragging, I think I have fairly good people skills in dealing with people and in, in managing people. Um, I was lucky growing up uh, when I went to university, I had some really good uh, opportunities. I ended up being a resident advisor, you know, which um, helped fund a lot of my education or the, you know, the, the room and board part of it anyways. And uh, there was a lot of training that we had to, to manage and to deal with, with people, you know, conflict resolution and, and such. So, you know, that was an opportunity that I had then that I suppose helped out. And uh, part of managing and dealing with people is just dealing with people, you know, having <laughs> good communication skills and, 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 and I guess just treating people to some degree like that you would want to be treated yourself. Yeah, so. no, that's a, that's a very uh, simple and effective mantra. You mentioned the, the, the workaholic, you know, kind of thing. And, and I grew up, you know, in a family where, you know, my father traveled 180, 190 days a year, uh, business trips, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I think a lot of people and, and even su- so successful people, it isn't that they're down and out, they're successful. They know they need to work hard to be happy or to achieve, you know, something. And then that achievement's going to help make them happy or work really hard, you know, extremely hard and have more money than the average person. And then you're going to be happy when you retire, you know, or you sell, you know, you got your RSPs or whatever you've got for assets, real estate. And you have a great work life balance now. And I, I would love for you to kind of unpack, you know, you work a, a slightly reduced work week, but some of your hours are a little bit longer, I think in the days. So those extra days off, is that something you always did or, you know, is it, is it something you realized later in life that I can't keep working at this same pace because, you know, I think a lot of people would love to know or love to give themselves the permission not to work less hard or not be a hard worker, but, you know, there's, there's a ceiling, you know, workaholism is, you know, 18 hours, 15 hours, 12 hours a day. Well, if maybe you could work eight hours a day or 10 and have a day off, and then you have a little bit less wealth when you're 60, but have all these memories of, you know, the the activities that you're into or memories with your kids or other memories that are important to you, which would be a a better sort of route. So a long winded way of kind of saying, you know, your reduced work week, I love those (laughs) and I I would love to inspire other people to try and figure out how to make that work in their own business. But is that something that you always did or is that something when the money came, then you reduced your work week? Um, I guess a combination of the two and I'm going to answer. And you're right, Dustin, that was a very long winded question. (laughs) And uh, uh, in in asking it, a couple things kind of came to mind. I mean, previously we were talking about my family and my upbringing and my parents both being workaholics. And I think, um, in any situation, uh, good or bad, we have the opportunity to learn from that. I, I guess, truth be known, I would consider myself to some degree a little bit of a workaholic. Work doesn't necessarily have to mean your job, but it, there's a whole other things you know that come along with that. It's work around the house. It's you know, it's there's lots of other things that comprise comprise work. So I would consider myself to some degree a workaholic, and it's something that I I struggle with to try to find balance at, at times for sure. Um, but we can learn from our 
our parents, both by things that we think they've done right and maybe things that maybe they haven't done right or I, I think we can improve on. And in looking back at my upbringing, um, I did spend certainly time with my, as I alluded to, you know, wakeboarding and whatnot. But there was a lot of times uh, I can probably count on, you know, two hands the number of baseball games my dad attended to because he was working, doing stuff, you know, yep. not necessarily work at his job as an electrician. He was kind of eight to five or whatever, but he'd come home and, I mean, we did a massive renovation on the house growing up. So he was always doing something in the shop, building or working around the house. So dad wasn't around a lot for us as, as kids. And when he did come and he did occasionally, it was certainly a very special time, and you know, fond memories in that regard. But in looking back, um, you know, I learned or when I, you know, when I had a family, I kind of thought, you know, I would like to try to be around for my kids, maybe a little bit more than my dad was. And I'd like to say that I learned from my dad right away. And I was able to apply that, 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 that knowledge, if you will, and be around for my kids right off the bat. But I wasn't. Um, I graduated, I think, uh, started practicing in 95. I think it was 27 at the time. And, uh, you know, my daughter was born in, in 1998. And uh, it was an early part of my career. And I was working, you know, I graduated six days a week. And, you know, I think when my daughter was born, I was five days a week. And I mean, I remember going up to the hospital and picking up my, my wife at the time and daughter and bringing them back home, getting them settled and then heading back to the office. And, um, and that's just what I, what I did. And somewhere along the line, and I, I, I can't remember this patient's name, even if I could, I suppose I couldn't share, but <laughs> I remember chatting with, with, um, with, uh, you know, a patient who at the time was probably in his sixties or so. And, and, and he knew I worked, I worked hard and was working a lot. And he knew I had a young family. And he said, you know, Rex, um, he said, when you look back on your life, you know, you're, you're never going to, you know, wish that you had worked more, wish that you had spent less time with your family and more time at the office. He said, the opposite is true. You will look back and you may regret the time that you didn't spend with your family. And um, I'd like to say that I took notice of that right away and, you know, made some changes, but I didn't. Um, and really the revelation for me came or really kind of hit me when my, my daughter went to kindergarten. You know, I remember taking her to kindergarten for her first day of school and thinking, oh, holy shit. Am I, am I allowed to say that? Oh, yeah. Anyways, that's yeah. what I thought. <laughs> holy shit. Like, she's, she's, in, she's in kindergarten now, and I had just an opportunity to maybe be around for her a bit more when she was a toddler. And uh, it was at that point that I committed to make some changes. My son was uh, two years younger than my daughter. He was born in 2000. And uh, at that point, I was working, I think, five days a week. And I dropped a day and I started working four days a week. And maybe a year later, I went to three and a half days a week. And um, so I could have some time off, you know, just the Saturdays and Sundays, but, you know, Fridays. And then, you know, every second Thursday, I would take off. So I had time to spent with my my kids when they were younger and you know my son and i we would ski on every thursday we'd go skiing or i would drive into preschool and just stuff we yep. just do things together and um you know and looking back um i have absolutely no regrets in doing so um sure i didn't pay off my house as quickly or pay off debt or do whatever you know there wasn't maybe as much cash flow as it could have been um but I was in a fortunate enough position that there was enough cash flow to do what I needed to do to support the family and look after our, our needs in that regard. 
uh, and still spend time with my family. And um, so, yeah, it was, it wasn't just an epiphany. I woke up one morning and made some changes or something <laughs> that I learned when I was a kid. I'm, I'm simply put, not that smart. Um, but it was that patient. And then when my daughter, you know, entering kindergarten, that's when it kind of really, you know, it was a bit of a wake up call, I guess. Did you have to go through a decision sequence? Cause you're a competitive guy and you know, you're building your practice and obviously more patients, more bookings, more revenue. So you have revenue increases, you know, uh, every business owner has some sort of goal around the growth of their business. Did you ever have fear that if you started reducing your hours, that your revenue was going to go away? Not go away. Um, but interesting story, Les and I, when I dropped uh, a day a week, and um, I, I guess uh, I'll, I'll step back a little bit. I didn't worry about not having revenue. I did certainly consider that my income would be reduced. And, you know, I did the calculations and figured we could, we could manage. We, it would be fine. Uh, it would just take a little longer to pay stuff off. Um, and I always, I guess, had the option, you know, as a business owner, uh, I have the, the autonomy, the flexibility to do whatever I want to do, take holidays when I want to take holidays, make my schedule however I want my schedule to be. So that's a, you know, I, I guess a luxury as a practice owner that, that I, I had. And I always knew that if I cut my hours back and it didn't work out and shit hit the fan or for whatever reason, it just wasn't working. I could always add that day back and I could work more. So there was always that security blanket, if you will, that I could um, but interestingly enough, uh, I found dropping a day, my, the net revenue didn't decrease at all. And the overall practice revenue, you know, over time kept going up and my personal income didn't really change. Yeah. And if anything, over the years, you know, and keep in mind, I was, you know, at the time, uh, you know, I was well, maybe within the first 10 years of, of practice. So my business was still, it was still growing at, at the time. And so part of that was just growth and part of it was just increased efficiency. And, you know, it takes time to learn to be a good dentist to, to increase your efficiency and, and, you know, hone your skills. Yeah, so, no, I think that's, I, I see it in a lot of entrepreneurs. I see it in a lot of professionals where they say, I could never do that. Like I, you know, my revenue would go down, but you know, again, for successful people, there's a certain threshold of income where if you cut it down 10, 20%, you still can afford the bills. You still can save a bit if your spending's in line. So there is, there really, you know, what's the worst that can happen? Your revenue goes down, your revenue goes away. Uh, you always can pick it back up. So you can pick it back up. And I guess, Dustin, at the end of the day, you know, um, and again, uh, you need to put food on the table. You need to provide for your family. There's certain things that you, you need to do. And, and beyond that, um, you know, it's just saving for the future. And, um, you know, and yeah, I just don't know. Um, sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. Um, I, yeah, no, I, I think just you're think talking about there's, prudent. Oh, sorry, success, you know. And I think that's the, the one word you throw out there is, is success. and you know, sometimes I think that we define, you know, how do you measure success? What is success? You know, and, and that's where I think, you know, people may have different definitions of success. And, uh, and sometimes I think, especially in this day and age, success is tied to dollars and cents. 
you know, the more dollars and cents I have, that must make me more successful. Yep. And if that's how you define success, then maybe that's the benchmark you're using. You know, you know, as, a, as an athlete, as, an, uh, as a runner, you may define success in, in, in terms of minutes and seconds. You know, as, a, as an entrepreneur and someone in business, you may define success as dollars and cents. Um, but I don't necessarily look at it that way. Um, I remember years ago uh, uh, when I graduated, I was a valedictorian and, and you know, one of my closing remarks was, you know, success lies not doing what people consider um, great, but what you consider to be right. And um, I've often, and I still do think of that, you know, that and success, I don't, you know, and it's taken me a while to appreciate this and maybe to learn this, but success just isn't about dollars and, and cents. There's a lot more that defines success. Success is, is being there for my patients. Success is doing a good a good job in the practice. Um, I I derive a lot of satisfaction when I when I when I help people. I like that. Success is being a good father. Success is being a good husband. Success is being there for your your friends. Success is relationships. Um, or at least in my mind, that's what it is. And everyone, their view of success may be different, but I don't think it's just dollars and cents. And, you know, yeah, if I would have worked more, I would have had more money right now. But I think I it's how uh, it's, a, it's the it's evolution of advertising and marketing 20 years ago. Uh, and from the studies I've done on happiness and wealth and money and rich and poor and all that kind of stuff, I think a lot of it stems back to, you know, if you want to, you know, feel good then you need to be rich and afford certain things and those items were marketed to us in my you know summaration it's success is living your values and all those things that you just sort of brought up and you know goals so that you know a lot of people and a lot of people map out their financial plan based on goals it's like we want to achieve this well goals are like a really nice checklist which they guide your your efforts and your intention but when you're really sort of digging it and unpacking it, it's going back to the values. You know, you mentioned relationships. Okay, well, is that more important than money? Okay, well, then paying attention to your friend's birthdays is is, is, is very important. And it needs to be recognized instead of, you know, your bandwidth being, you know, consumed by, you know, dollars, dollars, dollars. So, you know, again, that's uh, similar to what you're you're saying. And, and I, I don't, I don't I know. A good question, Dustin. You talk about people mapping out their their you know financial goals, but why don't we map out our family goals? And maybe some people do. Or personal. I think goals a lot or, of less, a lot less people do. Hardly anybody, because you know, it's you're talking about warm and fuzzy, and you're talking about stuff that you know there's not a lot of not a lot of marketing on the topic of values. You know what what are those, and and how do they really affect my life? But they have a direct correlation to happiness because. You know, if you have all the money in the world, you might be so disconnected from what's actually important that, you know, you're you're buying things and it's giving you a hit for a month. And then whatever that new thing is, that's not doing it for you. You just move on to the next thing. No, totally. you're absolutely right. And, and you talked about you've done a lot of reading and whatnot. And uh, um, when I work out at, at, at night, I often will watch, you know, TED Talks or YouTube videos on different things just for something to do while I'm exercising. And uh, there was a, a TED talk I I listened to a, a number of years ago, and it was exactly on that, on, on uh, 
what makes people happy. It was, and interestingly enough, it's, it's Do you remember who it was? I look don't, it up. but here's what I'm going to tell you, Dustin. And, and I think this is a really good thing to look up. It's one of the longest uh, studies out there on, on happiness. It was done in Harvard and it was done. The study was started in the, um, in the late uh, 1930s, I think 1938. Don't quote me on that. And uh, they took 260 some odd students from Harvard and they basically followed them through the course of their life. Okay. Um, and, and later on, they actually took some of the, the offspring of the kids from these, the initial participants in the study. And this study is, is to the best of my knowledge, still going on. And um, so it is, it is, uh, I, I, yeah, it's one of the longest lasting, or it is the longest lasting study out there on, on happiness and quality of life. And um, to sort of sum things up, really what they found is it's not dollars and cents at the end of the day that when people reflected back on their life that, that, that they were happiest. Some of the happiness or the happiness came from um, the quality of relationships, whether it be relationships with your spouse or significant other, relationships with family, relationships with friends. The people that had good, solid relationships um, had the most amount or would recount that they had the most amount of joy uh, and satisfaction in their life. It wasn't dollars and cents. It was relationships. Mm-hmm. So it kind of ties in with what you're saying there. I mean, we tend to focus on, and I think there's a lot of marketing and you, you mentioned, you know, 20 years ago, the marketing that was done on, on, you know, money, 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 and accumulate, 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 you know, and I understand why they do that because no one makes money if you go out and have coffee with your buddy. Well, maybe the coffee <laughs> shop does, but there's there's not a lot of oh. money to be made in that versus fancy cars, boats. fancy cars, and all. Yeah, exactly. So you know, as a society, we probably become a lot more materialistic as time has gone on because we're led to believe that if you have this widget, then you're going to be happy, and then once you yeah. have that widget, you think, "Wow, I'm going to be happy," and you are, but that that happiness is fleeting. And then all of a sudden you move on to the next widget that you need to be happy because that's what they tell you on TV. If I have this, then you're going to be happy. If I buy this, I'm going to be happy. If I go here, I'm going to be happy. And it's not to say that you don't derive satisfaction from maybe having that, but it's, it's short-lived and you simply move on to the next goal or the next whatever widget. You talked about, uh, you know, certain relationships. This is a book, uh, Ikigai. I don't know if you ever have seen it, but it talks about, It studies some of the longest living people. Uh, It's the highest. So the Okinawa region in the Asian islands is uh, has the highest concentration per capita of people over age 100. Mm -hmm. Okay. So one of the things that they talk about in there that's, you know, important from the time that they're kids is something called a Moai. That's like, it's M O A I and that's your friend group. So this is a tight little group of people that help you throughout your whole life and you help them. And they even go as far as like, they don't have the word retirement. They don't have the word retirement planning or, you know, that kind of thing because they, for one, they don't retire. They still help keep up their gardens and different things, but they all put a little bit of money every month in a little pot, not a lot. But then when somebody needs help in the Maui, that pot of money can be doled out to help people or help a child, you know, get a plane ticket to go to university or, or there are different things. And as someone who's, you know, I'm turned 40 this year, so I'm doing this more reflection about relationships and how you, the success, money, focus, 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 work, work, work 
you get further away from those like a good core of friendships when you're younger and you get family and, and life you don't have those as many interactions you need to create and be intentional about your moai and again inspiring from your stories is the the hobbies and sports that bring people together and you know i hear a lot of people say well i don't know i don't really have that big of a friend group but they don't do any activities so Again, I know you're part of the study club and, and staying sharp in, in business. What is going to be sort of the next five years of business? What's that going to look like or where are your goals? You've got, you know, some kids graduating, you know, just you've got life changes. Is it bigger? Is it more life, more time with the kids still? Or as you've got getting older and the kids are getting older, is that shifting? Um, well, in sort of reflecting and looking back, there's sort of been, you know, ups and downs, you know, uh, in, in terms of time available to spend with friends. But I think you, you hit the nail on the head, um, relationship, things take work. Um, but I think as, you know, as, as parents, um, you know, before having kids, I, I had spent a lot of time with friends because I didn't have the commitment to family or to a lesser degree. It was just, you know, my wife and I and, and whatnot. And then later on, you know, you know, having kids and it's something I've seen, you know, my friend group, we all went through, you know, and in, in, in a lot of cases we did things instead of just myself and friends, we did things, my family with their family. So we were still spending time together, but it was differently. Uh, and, you know, things are revolved a little bit more around the family and you had to make a bit more of an effort to maintain those relationships, um, reach out and it doesn't have to be long. It could be a little phone call every now and then, or like just reaching out to someone's birthday and chit chatting or going for a ride. Sports have, have always been something that, that have brought me together with friends. Um, but as, you know, as time goes, you know, with having kids, you tended to spend or I spent more time if I was going to go skiing rather than ski with my friends, I would ski with my family, you know. Um, and then there was a time, of course, when your kids become teenagers and you're the last people they want to spend time with. <laughs> um, that actually is another point that, you know, it was a bit of pivotal in, in life when you start to realize that your kids don't want to hang out with you so much anymore. And you're not the center of their universe. They're friends and they're maybe their first boyfriend or girlfriend all of a sudden become the center of their universe. and. Uh, Anyways, um, I digress. But yeah, uh, so it went from a period where I skied a lot with my kids and then my kids didn't want to ski with me. And all of a sudden I was skiing with my friends. And now my kids and my friends and I ski together. Yeah. Um, now keep in mind, Dustin, as, as you know, that's what your listeners won't tell you. Know, I, my older two kids are, are 20 and 22 and uh, my twins are eight. So I've got a sort of a second set of kids along the way. And I'm at that stage now where I, I ski with, my older kids and my friends. And I also ski now with my younger kids. I still am to some degree, the center of their universe. they like to ski with dad. they like to do things with dad. So right. I try to make myself certainly available as much as I can to do that. You know, I take Thursdays and Fridays off and I, you know, I will walk them to school It rained today. So we drove, but I walk to school. I try to pick them up and just, you know, be there for them when I can. So you've done a great job of summarizing a lot of what I think this question is, but I ask every uh, guest on the podcast is, you know, what is Rex Hawthorne's ultimate picture of wealth? You got some really challenging questions. <laughs> and, well, I, and I, I, you've I, done I, a hell of a job already describing that, uh, 
But if there's any sort Again, of closing you, closing thoughts on what wealth is, and you know, I always well, wealth to, isn't what wealth isn't what a lot of people would maybe equate it to is dollars and cents. I think wealth is an overall, you know, it, it's a little bit of everything. Yes, dollars and cents are certainly are, are certainly a component of that. And Dustin, you know, the reality of our conversation here is is um, there there are, there are people out there, and there's a big segment of the population, unfortunately, that um, they have to work there five days a week. They have to work long hours. They have to hold down two jobs to simply provide for their families. So to some degree, a, a part of our conversation here is, you know, I, I'm very lucky in, in that regard that I can afford to cut back and still be able to provide for my family. So for a lot of people, unfortunately, some of these, they just can't do some of the things. They can't do that. Right. Um, hopefully they can find other ways to be there for their kids, to be there for their family, to, to develop relationships, to cultivate relationships. Because I think, you know, that's a huge part of, of wealth. And I don't look at wealth as just dollars and cents. Wealth is, is having a, you know, a healthy relationship with your spouse or your significant other. Wealth is having a good, good friend group. Um, Wealth is having good relationships with your coworkers, you know, those people that maybe don't have a, a time to have a big friend group outside of work. Um, you know, you, you work every day with people, you know, and there's an opportunity there to spend time and develop relationships. Um, my staff is very tight knit. They're very close and it's not expected that they hang out and do stuff together. That's not a mandate that I have, but the work culture in my office is as such. And staff do spend a lot of time together. They celebrate each other's birthdays. They go out, they do things. We have staff functions together. Um, and participation is very high in, in all of these events. Um, because I pay for it, but they, they like well, it. It sounds uh, they have like fun. <laughs> we could do a whole another pod, mini pod sometime about corporate culture. Cause I do, I've known you for so long. I know you do have a strong culture and that's, that obviously provides uh, there's trust back and forth between you and your staff to so that each other can do uh, achieve their their goals and live their values. So thanks thanks a lot, Rex, for coming on today. I I had a lot of fun, and I know that uh, you and I could riff for probably a long time. So thank you again for coming on. Hey, my pleasure, Dustin. All the best. Take care. If you found this episode valuable, share it with a friend. If you found this episode super valuable, leave us a review on iTunes. It will help us continue to bring you top quality content. For more information on anything discussed on this show, visit www.servicewealth.com. That's service spelled S-E-R-V-I-S-S. Any investment topics covered on the show are not investment recommendations, and you should seek professional advice before making any investment decisions. This show was produced by Podigy Podcasts. Thanks for listening.